And good morning on this fourth Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of Love. I want to introduce to you some people that you already know, Susan Harlan and Mike Mosley. Mike joined our congregation recently, and we're so glad that you're part of our family here at Northside Drive Baptist Church, and they are engaged to be married. They will be leading us in the reading of the litany that's printed in your order of worship. God is making the final preparations for an amazing thing. Let us remember and prepare for God's intervention of love. At first, there was the frail light of a single candle of hope, daring to pierce the darkness of despair and sin. Then the candle of peace brought us God's persistent fire that dispels the forces of violence. Then the candle of joy promised that our weeping will turn into laughter and our mourning into gladness. Today we light the candle of love, for no other word so completely captures the spirit of our faith or beautifully describes what we know about God. For God so loved the world that a child was given, and this holy child shared the love of God with the world. We give thanks for the love of God seen most clearly in the life of Jesus Christ. May the life and love and light of God shine brightly in our lives. Again, welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, you can feel the gravity of Christmas Eve, right? Though we've ridden the brake, pumped the brake all this month, not yet, not yet, not yet, but now near. And so on this day, it's like we fall headlong into the arms of Christmas. So welcome to the worship of God as we celebrate this day. Thanks to Steve for the hammered dulcimer. Wasn't that beautiful? And an elegant, gentle beginning to the service. And uh, thanks to Susan and Mike for lighting this candle that reminds us that God gives the gift of love. We have guests uh, who've come from the far north <laughs> and from the eastern seaboard and from other places. So welcome. A lot of our people are out traveling, but some of you have come to this place. So, welcome to the worship of God. There is on the edge of your order of service, if you're a guest, you can uh, put your name uh, on that. It helps me connect name and face with you. And also, if there's a prayer request that any of you have, place that on the sheet as well. Drop it in the offering plate. And it's an honor for our staff and our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. Uh, You'll hear in the first lesson the word Bethlehem. It's time to talk about Bethlehem, and we will sing that song that goes with that later in the service. Uh, You'll also notice that we're singing a Moravian uh, song. We sang it last year, and we had a Moravian love uh, feast for several years, but not for the last two years. And it's a call and response hymn, and you'll see that Mary Frances Hedrick was going to be singing the solo, but she is ill today and is not able to sing. Uh, Her father said that he would be (laughs) stepping in. Fortunately, we filed a restraining order (laughs) to make that impossible, but he he took the consolation prize of preaching the sermon today. And so uh, he will be preaching the sermon. Singing the solo is Keith Walker. And you'll see there that it begins with solo 
and then there's an all section, and then it goes back to solo, back to all. So it's call and response, and uh, he'll be leading us in that when the, uh, the time comes. The epistle lesson sings one of the great hymns in the New Testament about the self-emptying nature of God through Jesus Christ. Um, and then we have the gospel lesson that speaks of Mary and Joseph, that speaks of angels and shepherds. And so as we get close to Christmas Eve, we remember that the world of political chaos that they lived in, they found a message beyond that contemporary moment where power always gets myopic. And they, was able, they were able to see beyond that. So we sing the songs, we tell the story, we remember the Magnificat and its, uh, its challenging words from last week, but we draw near the manger this week. Welcome to the worship of God. An ancient prophecy speaks of a deliverer who will be like a shepherd to come out of David's town of Bethlehem. The poetry of the scripture looks past hardship to a time of security. A reading from the book of Micah. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. And then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of his Lord. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Here ends the first lesson, and now let's say our prayers. Eternal God, ruler of all worlds and shepherd of the stars, whose glory is revealed in vastness and power, yet whose secret name is love, this is the time when we remember your gentleness, hidden in a mother's hope and in the joy of a birth. This is the time when we believe again, if only for a season, that love is stronger than fear, that peace is more enduring than hatred, and that darkness will never overcome your light. Christmas is so near, and we gather here today with expectant hearts, believing that you will soon grace us once again with your presence. As we anticipate your coming, when we, like Joseph, stand waiting, do not let us be frozen to inaction by a sense of fear because the future seems uncertain. Help us to trust in your proclamation that you are indeed God with us. And when, like Mary, we ponder our lives, may our expectations of what you do never be so rigid that we mistake your work within us and in the world to be anything less than holy. Arouse us from our old patterns of behaving and believing and send us like shepherds scurrying across the fields to some impossible birth of a new age because we have heard strange music in the wind, announcing that your greatest pleasure will be to give all creatures wholeness and peace. And like the magi who finally found their way to the manger, disturb our dreams of empires and dominions so that we may refuse to, to support the deceitful Herods of our day who promise status and success and yet who are untroubled by a prophetic call to justice, compassion, and goodwill. Instead, O oh God, turn us all into faithful dreamers who, like the wise men, did not seek to return to their country or their everyday lives by the same old way. Christmas will be here soon, and as we wait, O oh God, touch us with earthly joy like the singing of angels. Fill us with wonder like the surprised shepherds in the fields. Teach us to humble ourselves before you like the worshiping magi. 
May our final journey to the manger once again fill us with hope, peace, joy, and love. And when Christmas does come, may we be different. May we be forever changed because we boldly believe joy to the world. The Lord is come. And now hear us, O God, as we boldly join our voices together to pray the prayer our Lord and Savior taught his disciples long ago to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us listen to one of the oldest songs in the New Testament. It sings of the downward way of Jesus. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as sometimes to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted himself and gave him the name that is above every name. So that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Here ends the second lesson.
children please come forward at this time? I'm going to sit right here today. I'll sit right here on the wooden floor today because we have our pretty crush up here. Y'all sit right here. I'll sit right here. All right. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Okay, so we are going to sit down here to have our lesson because we have our pretty crush up here, okay? Well, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and it's an exciting day because it's the last Sunday of Advent. So that means that Christmas is coming. And I know you guys are excited about Christmas, right? Only two days. You think it's tomorrow? Yeah, Christmas Eve is tomorrow. Today's Christmas Eve's Eve. That's right, Sloan. Well, today I brought a few things to show you. And the first thing I showed, I wanted to bring to show you was that chrismon. Do you remember I showed you this chrismon on the hanging of the greens? Does anybody remember this one, the name of it? You remember how this one looked? So this, the name of this chrismon was called the love of God. Can you remember what the symbols on it represent? Somebody with good memory. So the hearts represent God's love, and then the circle represents the world, okay? And I wanted to bring this chrismon to show you because today, on the fourth Sunday, we lit our candle of love. So I wanted to bring that back so we could remember how we started Advent. Now, this one is, it represents the love of God, and that's from one of our scripture verses. The, it's from John three sixteen, and it starts, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. So it says, God so loved the world. Look, I made a little world for us to look at, see? And it's, um, I made it, and then I put a lot of different people on the inside of the world. And you can see, I colored them. And they're from all different countries. I had fun coloring them, Slim. And, and they, they're, they're supposed to look like they're from all the different countries of the world. Because, you know, we're over here, but there's all this whole other world with all these people in it. And, you know, there's a lot of different people here. There's a lot of different people here out in our congregation. And God loves all of them both near and far, so much that he sent Jesus to the earth to bring his great love and salvation to all of us. And you know something? Even though Jesus was a tiny little baby when he was born into the world on that first Christmas night, the love that he brought when he was born, see, it was big enough. And it's big enough for the whole world and everyone in it. And that's good news this 4th Advent Sunday. So let's say a little prayer, okay? Everybody bow your heads. Dear God, thank you for your great love for us. The love that sent Jesus Christ to the world and the love that covers over all of us far and near through your precious Son. Help us to cover the world in your love and to remember that your love is always more than enough for all. In your precious name, amen. All right, we can go with Miss Mary Lou for some music time. Thank you. The story of the birth of Jesus and the announcement of good news by the angels to nearby shepherds. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house of David. 
He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of a great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glory to God in heaven and peace on earth. That's what the army of angels said to the terrified shepherds. Peace on earth. The angels said that the sign of that peace would be a baby wrapped in bands of cloth lying in a manger. Now how could a little baby give us peace on earth that would rival the peace that empire can offer? The Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke helps us to begin to answer that question, and that's what I'd like to preach about this morning. Folks back then thought they knew a thing or two about peace, but what they really knew about was something called security. And we also know a thing or two about security. Security is taking your shoes off at the airport. Security is mothers having their diaper bags opened to inspect the contents of their baby formula for bomb-making materials. Full-body pat-downs, arduous checkpoints. Many, perhaps some of you, on the way to see family for Christmas will encounter security. And back then, just as in our time, there was great anxiety about something called border security. As the Roman Empire expanded, so too did the military. And as the border expanded, the need for more walls increased. And that anxiety about security is why, Luke says, in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered because Caesar needed tax revenue to fund the project of Roman peace through violence. They even gave it an Orwellian title, the Pax Romana, Roman Peace. And that is how Luke begins the Christmas story, with the Pax Romana and Caesar on one side, and with God's peace and a little Jewish baby on the other side. With a census meant to raise money for empire, and with some road-weary travelers on a Christmas journey. And for some reason, Joseph and Mary journeyed to Bethlehem to get registered for the census instead of Nazareth, where they actually lived. I don't know exactly why it happened that way. My favorite theory is that Joseph took his family to Bethlehem for a big tax break. It turns out from some old Egyptian census records that we have that if you registered in a Roman metropolis, 
then you could get up to 50% off your taxes. And Bethlehem was five miles from the metropolis of Jerusalem, so I guess it was like a suburb. And maybe that's why they made the journey. Perhaps Joseph set up a meeting with his CPA. We got a kid on the way, he said. That's good, that's good, the accountant said. Kids probably need some college savings. You can't start too early. Have you heard about the Bethlehem tax loophole? And maybe that's what got them to the manger. You know, I suppose they didn't have to go to Bethlehem. They could have said no to Caesar's decree. That was a real option. Plenty of reasons to not travel. I mean, was it really a good idea to take a long journey in the third trimester of Mary's pregnancy? I mean, can you imagine the look on her face when Joseph said, hey, we're going to take a 90-mile journey? I can't imagine her OBGYN would have let her go. I mean, there are lots of reasons not to go to Bethlehem, according to human common sense. But they did go. They had to get to the manger. Well, they could have joined the revolution, as many Jews did after one census in particular under Quirinius, bristled at the idea of Roman rule, joined an armed revolt. But I think Mary and Joseph didn't want to have anything to do with an armed revolt. Once Mary had been visited by the angel Gabriel, they knew this was of God. Without a doubt, 100%. Forget the rumors and the sideways glances of neighbors at the premarital pregnancy. Forget the insanity of the Roman law that you had to go to your ancestral homeland. These were just minor indignities to endure in order to get a little peace. That's what they were after, I think. They'd had a rough start to their marriage. Lots of excitement and turmoil. So they found peace in a manger drawing them like a magnet to Bethlehem. And it must not have been that long after arriving that it was time for the baby to be born. And there Mary is, full term. She's worn out and tired. And Luke tells us there was no place for them in the inn. Now hold up a minute. No place for them in the inn? I know Joseph was a man of modest means. I mean... A carpenter, hardworking, didn't have much money, but surely he could have found at least one room for Mary and the baby. I mean, maybe he wasn't a Hilton Diamond preferred member, didn't get one of those fresh-baked cookies upon check-in or no free Wi-Fi, but surely they could get a room. You know what I think happened? I think they had a place to stay. Maybe it was with Joseph's second cousin, family in Bethlehem. And they had crowded all of them together in that little house. And when it came time to give birth, Mary took a look around that room and said, Get me out of here. I'm not giving birth in front of all these people. Get me out of here to somewhere quiet. Get me to a place of peace. She just wanted to have peace. That's all. A peaceful Christmas, and so they found a place nice and quiet where the animals would sleep for the night. And here's the simple way Luke tells it. He says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, it's really quite amazing, don't you think, the way Jesus was born, the way Luke describes it? I mean, they laid him in a manger. That was just a a feed trough, actually. That's what it was. Now, you've probably seen this, too. I've seen those fancy nativity scenes where Jesus is laid up in a a crib, right? And the crib is lined with a fluffy duvet, probably Egyptian cotton, maybe 1,500 thread count. That is not what they laid Jesus in. Jesus' manger was just a rough-hewn wooden feed trough. That's where they laid him. And I'll bet you when Caesar Augustus was born, they didn't lay him in a manger. No, sir. I bet they laid him in an artisanally made bespoke crib constructed from reclaimed wood 
by a carpenter living in Decatur. That's near Rome. I bet it was lined with purple cloth, the color of royalty, but not so for Jesus. Jesus was laid in a manger because there was no place so low in human existence that God would not experience in order to bring us peace. And when Caesar was born, I bet the news of his birth spread like wildfire because he was born to a very well-to-do family. Caesar had no clue that on that quiet first Christmas that the Lord of the universe, of the universe had been born. He had no idea that the shepherds who wouldn't be allowed within a thousand yards of Caesar's retinue were the first outsiders to know. He had no idea that the angels proclaimed peace on earth because of Jesus' birth. And Caesar wouldn't have believed in that kind of peace even if an angel had told him. I mean, not for one second, because Caesar didn't need that. He had Pax Romana, 40 years of peace at the edge of a sword. And the empire kept expanding, and border security ate up more of the budget. And that wasn't peace at all. It was something called security. But there was nothing about Jesus' birth that offered security. I mean, 90-mile journey, no doctors or nurses, no nursemaid, no epidural, baby laid in a manger. Not so secure, but because God was in it, it brought peace. And Christmas presents us with a choice between the false peace of Caesar on the one hand and God's everlasting peace on the other. Human peace is never separated from violence. That's why it is false. False peace comes at the edge of a sword, then at the end of a gun, and maybe at the terrifying sight of a mushroom cloud. Somewhere in the cold, frozen earth of North Dakota sits a nuclear missile silo, like hundreds of others across our nation, waiting for command to launch a missile that could wipe out a few hundred thousand in the blink of an eye. And think about that. All that we have built could be in ruins in a matter of minutes. Just like that. That is the cost of security. But God's peace came through Jesus incarnate because in Jesus, God closed the gap between heaven and earth. God had to know what it was like to be human, what it meant to be as helpless as a baby, weak, emptied of power, in the form of a servant. That is why God's peace and love are worth infinitely more than the security we gain in empire. Now, it's almost Christmas. It's time to get quiet. Time to get to our place of peace. Time to tiptoe past the shepherds watching their flock, the magi bringing their gifts, nodding to the angels as we go. Time to approach the manger and ponder, as Mary did, all the wondrous love we'll find in Jesus. Time to look upon God's Son, whose incarnate love gives us this burning conviction that no matter what happens, God is for us. God is for us no matter what, because God, Emmanuel, is with us. That is why the angels proclaimed peace on earth. And that is why we can have God's peace today. Amen. Our thanks to Daniel for the gifts of self and sermon.
and challenge and comfort. And we sing a song that speaks of this, uh, along with the angel song and Mary and Joseph. It's the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that echoes the gospel and echoes the Micah text. And as you see in your hymnal, there are two copies of O Little Town of Bethlehem. One is the St. Louis text that's more of a lullaby. We're going to sing that tomorrow night at 1030. But the other, the other tune is Forest Green, written by Ralph Vaughan Williams. No stranger are we to his music. That it speaks with more vitality than lullaby, with more backbone and energy. So as we listen to this other tune and sing, we smell and taste different aromas that arise from the lyrics. That's the song. Let's stand together and sing.
Each time we gather, we bring celebrations and concerns and announcements, and I want to bring a few of those to you this morning briefly. Uh, first, uh, our Christmas Eve services uh, tomorrow. The schedule's printed on the back of your order of worship and also in the pinnacle that was issued this week that's in the narthex. The 4 o'clock service is a family Vesper service, and, and someone asked me on the way in what to expect for that, and so I wanted to tell you um, that it's okay during that service if the children are running around crazy. You don't have to sit still during that service. Uh, it's a less structured service. On the way in, the kids will uh, get assigned uh, roles and get costumes for kind of a pickup pageant play. And there could be as many as five or six Josephs and Marys, so there's, there's very loose structure, but uh, a sacred time together. And we'll celebrate communion together um, for the families and all who will join us then. And then, of course, the 1030 service, uh, the candlelight lessons, carols, and communion service later that evening. We hope you can join us. Uh, our prayers this week are all with those who travel uh, for the Christmas journeys ahead, for safety on the road, for those who are affected by illness and grief this season, and stretching around the globe to the victims of the tsunami in Indonesia last night, where over 60 were killed. Uh, join in prayer for them and for us on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Hartwell, I'd like to ask you to come forward now. Hartwell Dew will be bringing us a stewardship moment now. Thank you, Hartwell. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, David Cook, who is chair of the Finance Committee, used that power that chairs have and is delegated to me today. So um, when he called to ask me to speak this morning, I began channeling George Smith. For about half of the congregation, you know who George Smith was. The other half, of course, doesn't. But George was a leader in this church from a charter member from its formation. He was trustee from formation until his death in 2003, over 50 years. Bruce, you only got 45 more years, you know, in that position, okay? But Susan and I live in George Smith's house, and osmosis uh, happens, sometimes a lot more than Susan would desire it to. So any time that there was a money to be spent in the church, or there was a new program, George had the first question, how are we going to pay for it? And pretty good question, if you ask me. But uh, so as I look at the 2000, at the church through the lens of the 2019 budget, I find myself asking that same question, how are we going to pay for it? Um, our missions program is run very, very well. We're so proud of Habitat, Tolliver, you know, our uh, participation in the Alliance of Baptists, the uh, supporting uh, the Baptist Joint Committee, and other efforts. We want this to grow rather than diminish, but how are we going to pay for it? We've got beautiful music. We uh, Every Sunday we are so fortunate to have wonderful music. It was outstanding last week, thanks Keith and choir. And But how are we going to pay for it? We've got this beautiful sanctuary with a hole in the roof and uh, replete with deferred uh, maintenance everywhere. But how are we going to pay for it? We've got a wonderful staff. You know, I've become fond of them. Some, uh, it took a little longer uh, to become fond of than others. But, uh, you know, we want to keep them, compensate them uh, appropriately. But how are we going to pay for it? It's great to see the children here uh, and the young families they represent. But we have the responsibility to provide them with Christian education with activities and a safe place similar to what we had as when we grew up in the church. That's a responsibility. But how are we going to pay for it? And then uh, 
it kind of came to me. We've got really good members here, dedicated members, and together we'll figure out how to do this. Um, What is your responsibility? Well, first of all, let's talk about the 2019 budget. We need pledges of $708,000. We have pledges, 60 pledges, of $428,000. So about $280,000 short. Okay? What can you do? Well, if you have big gains in your stock portfolio. Scratch that. I wrote that a couple of weeks ago, so let's, let's forget about that. But um, if you haven't completed your pledge for 2018 and you're able to do so, please do it. Every dollar we get towards the 2018 pledge, towards the 2018 budget, gives us confidence for 2019. So do that. If you haven't pledged We've got a number of you know, very dedicated families that are consistent givers, and they just hadn't gotten around to pledging yet. Please take care of that. There's some pledge cards on the uh, table in the corner. You don't want David or Jordan Clark or me calling you any more than, than we want to call you, but we will, but we will. <laughs> so let's, let's take care of that. At Northside Drive, we have members here who have bought into our mission, what we do here. And what we do here is important. It's important to us. It's important to greater Atlanta. It's important to the world. And hopefully, it's important to God as well. George, we can and we will pay for it. Thank you very much, Hartwell. The offertory hymn you're about to hear is The Snow Lay on the Ground, and it's the first time that uh, Keith Walker has sung or conducted this, and that's detailed in the insert that's in your order of worship on the flip side from the Morning Star hymn. So if you haven't read that uh, devotional reflection uh, by Keith, um, do so when you have time. As we continue the giving... Uh, continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings with the snow lay on the ground.
participate in a story that started long ago, and that as we sing our parts and tell our stories, that you somehow catch them up in your great story. We give thanks for these gifts that are given and that tell the story of your love. We give thanks for the choir song and join them as the angel hovered round and sings and sung this song. In Christ's name, amen. It's a good day to be in God's house, and some of you are preparing to make trips and journeys uh, to, to kinfolk and friend. May traveling grace and mercy be with you. Even some are leaving right after the service to drive to Connecticut, so uh, glad we were here today. Did you notice how the light shone through the window when Hart Will Do was speaking? <laughs> and I think that was channeling George Smith whom he is like more every day. I think it was George Smith or was it John McIntyre that says, the Bible says that God loveth a cheerful giver, but we'll take money from a grouch. So, for that, uh, for that word. In the season of gift giving, we remember a lot of the needs that are out there, but the resources that God has given us. Go now with these words. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you. 
and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage and give you love. As we prepare to go in peace, amen.